Welcome back to That Rooted Feeling. This is episode nine, how stress affects our health. This episode is brought to you by the Rooted Food mobile app, the mobile application that helps you get a variety of plant foods in your diet for gut and overall health. Download it in the App Store or on Google Play. Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where we bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition. So you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all areas of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. We're back for another week. It is episode nine, and today we're going to talk about how stress affects our health. So Brooke is going to lead this discussion And next week, I'm going to break down effective ways to manage stress in our lives. So let's get started. Brooke, can you introduce the concept of stress? Right. Uh, Sure. (laughs) A little. A little. (laughs) The term stress was coined by Dr. Hans Selye in 1956, and it refers to anything that disrupts the homeostasis in our internal environment. And when you think about homeostasis, I want you to think about balance, everything in a neutral state. These stressors can be anything from an emotional perceived trigger in the external world that we know stress to be, or it could be things like food in our bodies or an illness, you name it, anything that dysregulates that homeostatic balance state in our bodies, that is what stress is. We've come to know it more in terms of our psychologic response to stressors or triggers in our environment. Our body's natural response to stress changes hormones and neuronal pathways, and this is to help our survival. It's a primitive survival mechanism, and anytime our body's out of balance, we want to get it back in balance so that it's functioning properly. So all of these things are to serve our overall survival and health. In a heightened state of acute stress, like, you know, we use a lot of times just like, you know, running from a bear or a tiger predator, we exhibit this fight or flight sympathetic response in our nervous system. And we get these autonomic and hormonal changes, like catecholamines can be one of these hormones. So think about epinephrine or norepinephrine. They increase your heart rate. They increase your muscular tone. So this is your fight or flight. This is your survival mechanism. That's acute. And these periodic stressors that are temporary and short-lived don't don't pose a very big risk to our health because they are just that. They're short-lived and then they regress. And we have systems in place in our body to help regulate us back to that balance. And we call this ability of our body to change and adapt back into that balanced state, allostasis. So when we talk about stress now in our current society, a lot of what we're getting isn't these stressors that are just periodic and acute, but rather chronic prolonged stressors. And Dr. Solier observed that prolonged stress can lead to a depressed immune system, tissue damage, and then subsequent disease. And this is by the process that we call allostatic overload. So when we think about that, and I want you to think in terms of chronic stress. So we have the ability to bring back into check these acute periods of stress, right? If we get a surge in these hormones, then our body will 
have feedback in order to suppress those if we're not chronically exposed to that stressor. Now, in the chronic stressors or burdens of life, we keep getting insult after insult. We build up this physiologic reaction. That continual buildup goes beyond our body's ability to cope, and then we get disease. Yeah, I think we can all relate with these chronic stressors in our life. And if we don't have, you know, ways to manage them, then they can really spiral into all these health problems. And so what kind of changes occur in our body in response to a perceived stressful stimuli? Well, the main one and the one that we're really going to harp on today is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So we're going to just call it the HPA axis. It's two brain centers that communicate with each other and subsequently communicate with the adrenal gland. And this plays a really key role. So the hormones that are released through this axis are things like DHEA or dihydroepiandrosterone, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and glucocorticoids like cortisol. We also have changes in the brain architecture and neurochemical functions that are affected in different mechanisms. The immune system is also suppressed. We also see disruptions in our cardiovascular and gastrointestinal systems, also these neuronal pathways and hormone pathways. So then we can also see secondary mediators of this. When you have things that are so out of balance and we have checks and balances systems to get them back in balance, you're then going to lose the proper feedback. So then we think about things like cholesterol, glycosylated hemoglobin, your blood pressure, your body mass, your waist-to-hip ratio, things like glucose levels, lipid profiles, interleukins, like cytokines, heart rate variability. All of these things in our body are going to give us feedback in ways that are inappropriate if that chronic stress is persistent. And so our body really is living in this chronic fight or flight state and our body really doesn't do a good job, does it, of differentiating, you know, when a tiger is jumping in a room or these everyday stressors in our life. And so if we don't find ways to manage them, we're going to have all of these health consequences as a result. Absolutely. So how does stress promote poor health? So we've talked about the mediators and I'm going to simplify this process for you based on the main pathway, which we discussed being intricately laced with the HPA axis, but it's called the glucocorticoid cascade hypothesis. And that's just a fancy term for cortisol affecting your overall biology. So we get these physiologic or psychologic stressors, and that increases circulating cortisol levels through that HPA axis we mentioned. In the really cute state, we get this catabolic effect. So catabolic means it's breaking down things in our body. And the reason we want to break down things is because that breakdown gives us quick access to energy, right? So if we're breaking down fats, we're breaking down sugars or protein, we have access to energy. So think about, okay, if I need to run from a predator, I'm going to need my all of this adrenaline to break down energy sources for my fuel. Yeah, I love that connection. I think always thinking back to this fight or flight response, and that's what your body is living in when you're in this chronic stress. So then after this acute period, in general, you should have a return to normal levels through the feedbacks of the hypothalamus, the pituitary, to the adrenals, and everything gets back to its normal state. 
But if it's repeated chronically, like we're talking about, that's maladapted in today's environment, that cortisol is going to stay high in the blood. It's just going to continue to circulate throughout the blood. So then when we have this cortisol, it's circulating in our bodies. It's getting sensed by the hypothalamus. That damages the response of the hypothalamus. It can no longer give the proper signals to the adrenal glands to stop the release of cortisol. And what happens is the cortisol levels will just be maintained at higher levels beyond the physiologic normal range. So then you get a new set point for this. And it just creates this vicious cycle and leads to more damage feedback. Dr. Sheldon Cohen, who's a stress researcher and professor at Carnegie Mellon, he determined that when we have these high circulating levels of cortisol, the cells of our body become desensitized to their normal reaction, right? Specifically, our immune systems. And then that causes just rampant inflammation throughout the body. And that leads to other disease. Yeah, that really made the connection there when you said how it desensitizes our cells. I mean, this is true for diabetes with insulin resistance and our vascular system and all of these connections with these disease and living in this chronic stress state. Right. So what are some of the diseases that are associated with this chronic inflammatory state that you're now making that connection for us? So you will instinctually know these diseases. Because many of us have experienced in high-stress states, we can get ulcers or GI upset, right? That's the neuronal connection causing a alteration in the way that our GI system works. Yeah. You can get elevated heart rate, high blood pressure, right? So hopefully that's acute, but in a chronically stressed state, that could be prolonged and that can lead to significant cardiac disease. We get, obviously, we talked about increased inflammation, but that can lead to joint disease, you know, osteoarthritis, things like that, dysregulated sleep, insomnia even, depression is related to stress, somatic symptoms. So we any number of diseases can come out of this stress response, and it can present in a number of different ways. I've seen it in my patients present as extreme weight loss or functional dyspepsia. We definitely get a depressed immunity. So then you think about people who get the common cold. It's just their body's way of not being able to deal with that insult. We get slower wound healing. Headaches are certainly associated with this, that inflammation of stress. Musculoskeletal pain, we see it in back aches and neck aches, tension. Obesity, you know, people get inflammation and that leads to insulin resistance, that leads to metabolic disease, then we don't utilize our fat stores as efficiently. And then on top of that, the stress causes us not to be able to choose healthier options because we're looking for comforting foods. So it's a really vicious cycle. So this chronic inflammatory state and chronic stress really affects every system in our body. Can you kind of explain how it really directly affects our circulatory system? and how it contributes to inflammation there. So the inflammation specific to our coronary artery disease is the key to setting up plaque development in our arterial walls. And, you know, we can see inflammation from a number of insults, right? We talk about, we'll talk about when we do a little bit more on, you know, certain foods that promote disease, but we can get TMAO or we can get 
endotoxins that are inflammatory to many of our cells. And similarly, stress can just cause inflammation on its own. And we can get buildup and rupture of plaques and subsequent uh, heart attacks from this. Yeah, there even... I saw it multiple times in the ER where somebody would lose a loved one. And then what do they call it when... Broken the, heart syndrome. Yeah, the broken heart syndrome. They'll come in with a heart attack a couple of days after. Right. Just from that stress. Yeah. And if you're stressed, you're also going to have this catecholamine release we talked about for this fight or flight response. But that's going to increase your blood pressure, right? And it's, it's going to cause this vasoconstriction. And that's bad for any end organ, right? So your liver is going to suffer from that vasoconstriction. Your heart, obviously, your kidneys, your brain, anything, you name it, it can be affected by this vascular phenomenon associated with catecholamines. And moving on from cardiovascular disease, we can talk about the gut too. So IBS flare-ups have several different factors But stress is definitely one of the triggers for these flares. And 60% of people with IBS meet psychiatric disorder criteria, and usually it's anxiety, but stress has been linked to the increased movement and sensitivity of your intestines. Additionally, they can affect our gut microbiome, and, you know, that's where our immune system lives. So then you talk about our immune system really being effective, and this all affects the proper function of our gut. It's just a cascade effect. One affects the other, it affects the other. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get how get to how we fix all of this. Yes. So you talked about insulin resistance. Let's talk about the regulation of glucose in this whole system. When you're stressed, you get glucagon and adrenaline release and then subsequent release of glucose from the liver. And insulin will rise, but then as it falls, you're going to get more cortisol which makes your body less sensitive to the insulin you have circulating. So we talk about insulin resistance as being a indicator of diabetes, but when we're in stress, this is like your body's little microcosm of diabetes happening. And the more it happens, the more you put yourself in that state of having prolonged insulin resistance. As that insulin resistance persists, you have more glucose in your blood. And that glucose will glycosylate or attach itself to your red blood cells. So that's when we get hemoglobin A1C levels that are really high. And we know that this affects your eyesight and your kidneys and your heart function because those red blood cells are just too big to be getting through those capillary beds and it damages anything that it tries to to flow through. Yeah. So can you explain what hemoglobin A1C is for our listeners that may not understand what that is? Yeah, that's when sugar attaches to a red blood cell. So we call it a glycosylated hemoglobin. And the measurement of hemoglobin A1C actually shows us, on average, the trend of blood glucose in your body over a period of three months. So we know that extreme stress can increase your risk for diabetes. And some studies have cited even 45% higher risk of diabetes, and that was in a male population. From the prolonged stress, wow, that's amazing. And we know from Dr. Sheldon Cohen's work, of course, stress is just going to render the immune system totally ineffective. So then you're going to get colds, you're going to have the flu more constantly. And then on top of that, it's a mental issue too, right? When you're stressed, you're going to have less regulation of your emotions, you're not going to have the ability to cope with difficult life situations. 
This also leads to poorer health outcomes with any disease that you may have. When we get stressed, we're less likely to engage with healthy habits. And even though those healthy habits would help to get our body back in balance and reduce the stress, it's just this bad cycle. And then that contributes to a higher allostatic load that we talked about. And then when that load, as that load increases, we're not able to cope. Then we get a higher set point. So then our body doesn't release what it needs to to get us to homeostasis because we've now been at this higher set point. And so it takes even worse stress for us to get into a normal pattern of physiologic reaction to stress. And so we're just building and building and building on this. And this is why we get so much disease in our society. You've really broken that down to encompass how stress really affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, in so many ways. And I can't wait to get to how we can really mitigate the stress in our lives. So join us next week for that episode. I'm going to break down all the ways we can effectively manage the stress in our lives. I cannot wait for this, and it's going to be a great discussion. We hope you loved this episode. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, and then tell a friend who you think could benefit from hearing this message. Yes, please do. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.